up, nerds? This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I get paid to do science. Dr. Sarah Ward. I used to do science. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to talk about the Marvel multiverse and many worlds theories. It's just Marcus and me today. Yeah. Coles only. Coles only is a Cole exclusive podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm really happy about this because the ratio of people better educated to me to, <laughs> wait, the, the ratio of people better educated than me to me is now better in my favor. Yeah. Also, I, I'm probably going to get away with like maybe saying some like scientifically incorrect shit because Sarah's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's not here, so we're just going to lie. Yep. We're, this is no longer, this is completely speculative podcast now. There is no longer any scientific rationale. There's no nonfiction. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, yeah. you should tell me about Marvel multiverse stuff yeah, before man. we get into your science shit. Exactly. No, I'm, I've been really excited about doing this particular episode as- uh, Have we done any Marvel yet? We've, we've done Marvel- what did we do? We did X-Men, that's right. We that's did right. X-Men, yeah. We'd done yeah. X-Men. Okay. So we haven't done a lot of Marvel, and I feel like there's never been a better time to kind of give people an introduction to the Marvel multiverse and the multiverse in general than right now. And why is that? Marvel's really leaning in to this whole multiverse thing. Like, Oh, good. Yeah. For for profitable reasons? Or like, what's the, what's uh, the impetus here? I, I mean, I, I think... Profit normally drives most things <laughs> in a capitalistic society. Sure, but, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what uh, who made final creative choices for like this next leg in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, what are they up to? They're so, and I, and I don't want to spoil things for for the listeners, um, but you you should probably. But but spoiler okay. alert, I, I kind of have okay. to. Um, okay, I'll I'll brace myself <laughs> for spoilers then. Normally, I'm very anti-spoilers, but this yeah. time I'll I'll just suck it up. I'm gonna do my best. Uh, but if you if you've watched um, WandaVision or Loki, no, or if you've seen uh, well the the What If series right now, that's a uh, all uh, animated. That's on Disney Plus. All okay. of these movies touch on the concept of different versions of reality or moving through different universes and really building out the marvel cinematic universe into this more multiversal space that is i mean if you're a comic book fan um and familiar with even like dc comics has like a multiverse just like marvel does and most of what we've known in the cinematic universe at this point has taken place on earth six 616, which in the comics is like the main universe where everything happens, but... Do you know where that 616 comes from? I don't know where that particular number comes from. It sounds good. Yeah. There's probably some kind of 
meaning behind that particular choice of like numbers yeah but the the cool thing is that we're finally getting this opportunity to build out this world and not just have things that exist in 616 come into the marvel universe but things that could literally happen in any of the potential universes that they're bringing into this world so it's a really easy avenue to bring in characters like blade Uh, wait Oh, but is or you could like unkill people, right? Like, are we getting Mister uh, RDJ back? Is I that would, the plan? I would never want to speculate on that because I think too many. I don't want to. I want to temper expectations for what the multiverse can be. And while it would be a beautiful way of really uh, uh, getting RDJ back, yeah, it would. The fan, <laughs> the fans would love it. I think yeah. the movie would be great to even if it wasn't like a he wasn't in a lot of the movie, but it was just like it a little little cameo, and it's like a universe where he never became uh iron man he's just a regular guy hanging out with pepper pots and their baby a universe where fucking tom holland's eyebrows aren't constantly disheveled (laughs) and i can watch spider-man without wanting to die and and i have no like this is again speculative (laughs) but maybe spider-man always has disheveled eyebrows i i I don't know if that's just a part of his shtick (laughs) well i don't know anyway so that's the universe i want to (laughs) see And and you know what, Abby, there is a universe for everybody when we're talking about the many worlds theory and particularly the multiverse. And when it comes to like Spider-Man in particular is a almost inherently multiversal character in the Marvel universe. Like I guess they already did that with Spider-Verse, didn't they? Exactly. Like they're maybe they're going to. Oh, my God. That deserved all of the awards that it got. Probably one of the best animated films in our generation uh, i listen to that soundtrack all the time especially (laughs) for flower yeah 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 okay wait no you know what forget the science just sing it all that's the plan marcus go for it uh i'm okay i i I don't i don't want (laughs) to sing on the podcast anymore okay fair enough (laughs) um but no spider-man's really cool because like they're even in like like what you're talking about the spider um the spider verse movie and then even in like the comic books or the old like 90s cartoon like spider-man interacting with other spider-men throughout the universe to like fight some big bag demon or to go find some ancient relic has just been like a really big part of the character and i'm looking forward to kind of seeing how they bring that to the live action movies because my dream is to have that little pointing Spider-Man meme happen I was in the just new about Spider-Man movie. I want that to happen. That'll be that's, um, that's going to be the th- yeah. like the Captain America picking up Mjolnir moment where a whole theater gasp and it would just be amazing. I feel like that would ha- it's a very specific tone though. Mm-hmm. That's got like very Deadpool tone vibes. Yeah. It would have to be a, a campy movie to really go ahead and bust bust that pointing meme out. Well, I I think. Marvel's finally figured out a good balance between action, drama, and comedy. Uh, and this is a weird, yeah. like a crazy segue, but like if anybody hasn't seen Shang-Chi yet, that is- I heard good things. Dude, it's the best origin movie now. And I like, I put is it up it there right- theaters? Mm-hmm. It came out uh, last week. Okay. And I would honestly put that right up there next to Black Panther as far as like impact <gasps> and- What? And the like- Come on. Quality of an origin story movie. Yeah. It, oh, but Michael very, B. Jordan isn't in it. Yeah, I that's see. the only thing I know. Obviously, <laughs> I can't. I can't give it the best. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just really well done. Incredible. But yeah, back back to the multiverse. 
Yeah, should we talk about uh, science now? <laughs> yeah, we should talk about uh, science and kind of uh, preface this episode is like, this is going to be a great kind of intro to anybody that's never really heard of what a multiverse is, or maybe has some, not necessarily negative, but like kind of preconceived ideas about how this idea came to be. Okay. A multiverse is just multiple universes. Let's just start yeah, that's there. Right. I the was going to say it's all right there in the name, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, it's all right there. And multiverse is normally the term that is used in, obviously, Marvel, DC, a lot of other uh, science fiction. But this all really comes from an idea called the many worlds theory um, that arose out of uh, doctoral research that um, Dr. Hugh Everett did. And we're going to probably spend most of this episode kind of talking about Hugh. And I'm probably going to call him Hugh a lot. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. I like that. Uh, before you tell me about his biography, I think we should tell everyone <laughs> where we're at with this recording. This is like our fifth attempt <laughs> at recording this episode. It's <laughs> It's really funny that we're having an episode about the multiverse where like you're listening to this kind of cohesive recording vaguely yeah vaguely like cohesive thing (laughs) that is essentially an amalgamation of many universes where we've not completed this podcast you guys we have tried this one so many times oh man uh so that's why we've been on hiatus a little bit as well anyway we've already decided that if anything goes belly up no matter the neighbors no matter the dogs no matter the trains yeah no matter the pipe sounds we're gonna bring you our voices because yes. the fans demand it. <laughs> we can't start this episode anymore, Todd. Hey, that's true. And you know what? There's not really fans in this universe demanding it, but Hugh Everett would say doesn't really fucking matter because there's probably a universe out there somewhere where the fans are. Hugh Everett's the guy you were going to do a Yeah, I, exactly. That was my segue into <laughs> talking okay, about great. Hugh Everett. <laughs> All right. Tell me about Hugh Everett. Okay. Um, yeah, so... We well the whole like I preface this with like the idea that the many worlds theory did not just come from some ancient mystics or like some hardcore supernatural sci-fi fanboys. An actual quantum <laughs> physicist came to co- the conclusion through his like understanding that there must be many worlds, and that's a very overly generalized way of putting it. <laughs> okay. But don't you think that he probably got the idea from uh, being a fanboy in his in his earlier years? I don't know. When Dude. was this guy born? Tell um, me about okay, this guy. Yeah. So Hugh Everett was born November 11th in 1930 in Washington, D.C. 1930. Okay. Yeah, 1930. I guess they didn't really have fanboys back then. I don't know if they had fanboys back then. You know, I mean, and like had a pretty normal life, like growing up in D.C., had middle class like parents, but also was just like very like early on in life very interested in science and exploring the universe and at the age of 12 he actually wrote a letter to albert einstein asking him whether (gasps) uh, which maintained the universe was something random or unifying that's so cute yeah and he respond do we know yes einstein responds as follows dear hugh there is no such thing like an irresistible force and immovable body but there seems to be a very stubborn boy who has forced his way v- victoriously through strange <laughs> difficulties created by himself for this purpose. Sincerely yours, A. Einstein. Oh my 
God, what a wild thing to say yeah. to a 12-year-old fan. He was just like, your <laughs> hypothesis is, uh, it doesn't really make sense. You're kind of just like forcing it upon the universe, but whatever. Wow. Good for you. Um, Good for okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but I mean, so this is Q at age 12. Sure. Precocious. Yes. Precocious, uh, pondering the fundamental questions of the universe just casually. Um, so obviously he was going to probably be doing something that pertains to science, which is basically exploring how the universe is built and functions and all that good stuff. Thank you for defining science for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my, that's my more, like, I guess. Uh, I see, I see. It's your, like, philosophy sci- about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. That, okay. That's how I, I would like to view um, science. Sure. Um, I don't know if uh, Q would necessarily see the beauty in science the same way I do. Um, but regardless, passionate young child that then became a passionate scientist. So he got his bachelor's degree in, uh, actually in chemical engineering from the Catholic University of America in 1953. Do they uh, graduate people from Catholic universities with science degrees? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) Uh, My mom's Catholic. I can say that. (laughs) uh, I got some friends that are Catholic. I I got some Catholic friends that are- Some of my best friends are Catholic. Have PhDs. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely know a good number of Catholic PhDs. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so like he has a more of a background in like chemical engineering, but he had always been more of like a mathematics uh, focus. So like very much like interested in like reaction connections, uh, um, reaction mm-hmm. designs, but then like really like getting into the theory of mathematics. So he actually pivoted and he ended up being an NSF fellow, um, which is what Sarah is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So shout, shout out to the NSF. Is, was, do we keep it in the present tense? As I, I don't know. I mean, you were, I feel like you were always, no, your fellowship she, from ends the, eventually. From the moment of her birth. <laughs> She's always been a fellow. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool, I, though. I they mean, have I guess you're always a part of the fellowship. Yeah. So shout, shout out to that. But yeah, so he ended up pursuing a PhD in physics with a focus in quantum mechanics from Princeton. Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, like, let's, yeah, and I'm going to be, I should have probably said this earlier, most of this information is going to be pulled from uh, this article called The Many Worlds of Hugh Everett, Mm. um, yeah, written by Peter Byrne back in October 21st of 2008, kind of a 13-year-old article here, don't know why. Yeah, but if he's already (laughs) dead, then, like, it can be, right? I mean, his his (laughs) theories aren't changing. (laughs) No. Not at all. Well, there might um, be a universe in which he's still alive. <laughs> but I, I think uh, Peter actually captures uh, Hugh a little bit better than I can. So I'm going to just uh, quote the opening paragraph of this mm. uh, article. Hugh Everett III was a brilliant mathematician, an iconoclast quantum theorist, and later a successful defense contractor with access to the nation's most sensitive military secrets. He introduced a new con new conception of reality to physics and influenced the course of world history at a time when nuclear Armageddon loomed large. To science fiction aficionados, he remains a folk hero, the man who invented the quantum theory of multiple universes. 
To his children, he was someone else again, an emotionally unavailable father, a lump of furniture sitting at the dining room table, cigarette in hand. He was also a chain-smoking alcoholic who died prematurely. Oh, my God. The tone of that introduction (laughs) took such an abrupt turn, right? I wanted to share that with everybody because that's how I felt when I was reading. This. I was like, I was like oh. wow, this is so inspiring. Oh, oh God, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, definitely had an interesting life. But I mean, what he is known for is like giving true, like, credence to the idea of there being multiple universes and not just this, like, like hopeful thing. It's like this makes sense based on pre-existing science and physics that we. That came before him that was really, like, established in, like, the 1920s. Even though Einstein says, no, sir, you are yeah. wrong. <laughs> you foolish Even, child. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're if you're able to uh, evoke a response from Einstein at age 12, in, mm. regarding, like, fundamental concepts of the universe, I think you're on a pretty good track to have... That's true. ...a fair understanding and good hypotheses once you get to the grad school level. Yeah. So uh, I assume now you're going to talk to me about physics and I'm going to be able to understand it the whole time and keep Oh, no. Is that the plan? Oh, you're not. I'm not. I'm going to touch on some physics (laughs) because that episode, that just needs to be a whole episode, to be completely honest. With Sarah on the podcast also. With Sarah. I need need another (laughs) science-facing person that can just That would be great. (laughs) I think that would be better for everyone involved. Yeah. No, this is more of the origin stories of the many worlds theories and a little bit of how Hugh Everett might have prevented the apocalypse. (laughs) Okay, now this I know how to get behind. There we go. Okay. So yeah, like uh, most graduate students, all of uh, Hugh's ideas that kind of make him a iconoclast or a famous person within the science fiction space uh, arose while um, he was having a good couple drinks because that's how you come up with your thesis project. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about it being the intellectual property of the university. <laughs> You're like, no, actually booze is how we do science, even, guys. Even at Princeton, <laughs> there needs to be some lubrication to get the creative wheels uh, turning, so, or gears turning. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I am drinking whiskey right now. So, hey, cheers. Uh, but but I'm not getting a doctorate so, <laughs> or inventing anything important. So, um, Abby, are you uh, familiar with uh, Niels Bohr? Kind of like the, not the father of the atom, but kind of how like oh, basically the yeah. Bohr atom like structure and like kind of how we think about like fundamental units of matter. Like this, yeah. Uh, it's it's in the recesses of my brain somewhere. That's the name is familiar. All I needed was the recesses because Hugh came up with this idea with one of his fellow physics classmates, uh, Charles Meisner, who um is also a well-known physicist. And I I know I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. Age Peterson. It's A A G E. Age. Age. A A G E. A A G E is the name of this person. Hmm. Um, Where are they from? um, I think Germany. I think that would be Aga, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Or anyway. sorry, uh, Denmark, probably. Oh, well, then I have no idea. Doesn't matter. The important thing is that this was uh, Niels Bohr's uh, assistant. Like he was his graduate assistant. So this was uh, also mm-hmm. someone who, he's a famous physicist as well, gives a certain level of credibility to the things that were discussed over these drinks. And 
over the course of this session of discussion about quantum mechanics, different aspects of science in 1954, because we're kind of really building off of like all of the results of like Einstein Mm -hmm. and like the Copenhagen um, experiments and all of that stuff to really like bring us into what would ultimately be like the like digital age, because like we're getting really good with understanding electronics as a result of a lot of this research. He concluded that the many worlds theory was more probable than our existing understanding of how the universe basically arises. Doesn't this seem like it should be a weed thing, not a booze thing? Shouldn't it be like, hey, man, like what if there were so many? I know that. Wait, hold on. What if there were so many worlds, like so many universes? (laughs) But that would be assuming that this was not coming from like a bunch of physicists that were mainly talking about collapsing wave functions smoke weed i know but it's it's who knows i mean we weren't in the room we don't really know what happens oh yeah that's true it's probably easier to pass it off as (laughs) as just booze yeah um but mainly it wasn't about like i guess like the philosophy of like what if there were many worlds it was just like why is it that we assume that at a fundamental level, if we're going to assume quantum mechanics and mm-hmm. the Schrodinger equation to be true and that all events and like, I mean, we can use like the double slit experiment, like you shoot the beam through the split, the light actually travels all potential paths that mm-hmm. mathematically looks like a wave function that is just a combination of all those potential paths. And then what we see is a single state that is based on like how Copenhagen would define it is like we can only use quantum mechanics to understand the fundamental levels of things and we cannot back apply the Copenhagen interpretation like to macroscopic things. So from our perspective, we induce the reality that we see, which I mean for Hugh Everett and I mean I kind of can see the argument, this kind of gives a lot of power for like the observer that like if things are so random at a fundamental level, like why do they just all of a sudden become static and observable Mm-hmm. from our particular like vantage point and that just didn't really and obviously this in is more where mathematical we have to terms, bring in like religion and philosophy into it to come up with like a yeah or like a, or or math i was i was or, desperately going for something that i could <laughs> yes. get my teeth into <laughs> or you could break away from the Bohr's or the heisenberg's and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna assume. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how that comes. Well, based on oh, what I happened. Mean, honestly, <laughs> if it's his fucking grad advisor, then probably yeah, right. Well, or so, not his advisor, but like yeah, it was not his advisor. It was the other guys. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to say you didn't want to go for any kind of like, I guess, kind of out there existential like force that would create the reality you live in, you can just say, well, I'm gonna take this wave function and apply it to all things what and i mean what ultimately became his uh thesis title that actually had to be redacted when it was published uh the theory of the universal wave function yeah well we'll why we'll get there oh okay (laughs) um (laughs) but the the, i mean the basic idea is that rather than saying that under the copenhagen interpretation that we observe like our observation acting on a quantum system forces it into a state that is observable I've heard this. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, that, I mean that that's that is how the that is a popular widely accepted form of like why how like cop, quantum 
mechanics should be interpreted in like how we observe our reality. This is all right. Most people would like believe this, and I mean, I'm a multiverser for a lot of reasons, but I just think there's also some math and credibility to this theory. <laughs> if I hadn't have been a multiverser before, well, I don't know if I call it that seriously, but if I hadn't have believed in it as a possibility before trying to record this episode 20,000 times, um, I certainly believe in it now. Because I like <laughs> well, to, I believe in every version of this episode. <laughs> I wouldn't, I'd hate to have to call you an anti-verser. Is that what it's called? <laughs> no, but I, I've oh. like considered, <laughs> given, given our cultural climate, I was like, I would just be calling people anti versus if this is if people really oh wanted to be God. like <laughs> nightmare we gotta put yeah. that on a t-shirt i kind of want to make that the episode <laughs> don't be an anti-verser okay <laughs> um, jesus <laughs> <sighs> okay um but yeah so he was like screw that like we don't just give get to give the observer or the instrument supreme power over dictating like the collapsing of the wave function into a state of observable phenomena we're going to expand the wave function to this uniform universal ensemble and he his thesis is a lot of math i tried to read it couldn't get through it oh well i'll take a look at it for you yeah <laughs> there you go I'd, I'd appreciate getting a second set of uh, expert eyes on this thing because uh <laughs> couldn't make much way with it but he genuinely built the math did kind of the like proofs and came to the conclusion that we would need to expand the wave function model to the universe and that the only like kind of plausible like reality is that rather than all of these like universes just constantly collapsing on each other is that when you observe something decisions choices actions like even things as far as like biological like cellular reactions like chemical bonds forming happen and creates a fragment of a universe like all things exist on within this ensemble and every time something any action or effect creates a new branch which essentially means that there are many worlds or universes so there's a universe in which he had one fewer drinks and didn't yeah. come up with this theory <laughs> yeah well he he would believe that and kind of a uh, right um, some of the things that I, I like from the, uh, the article itself, and uh, I watched a couple of videos with this, like, son, you could kind of tell he didn't care that much about, like, life per se. And a lot of people Ooh, kind of uh... theorized that it was this idea, like, he genuinely believed this, that he didn't see the point in certain things in life here because he's like, well, this would be happening in another oh, universe God. anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's actually really yeah. dark. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he's been described as a, a solipsist, which I hadn't seen that term. In solipsist? Heaven. Yeah. Mm. I actually like do know that one. Yeah. I words, I, uh, but now I'm afraid to define it. It's like it being like sort of focused on your own self and like yeah, nothing else is real or matters or exists. Exactly. Like your perception in your mind, like that is all like reality. Right. Everything else is just a function of that. Which like, okay, theoretically fine. I guess it's a theoretical thing, but like also boo, what a terrible yeah. way to go about. Here's the thing. Even if that were the case, why bother believing it that way? It makes your life fucking miserable. Well, and then I, after your death, people are describing <laughs> how you just drank and had empty chairs at your children's dining room tables. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, 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 things are going to get a little, uh, not a little bit darker, pretty dark at the very end of like, oh a, no, does the, he kill the, himself? The no, no. Okay. No. 
No. And, and things, okay. will, th- 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 things get slowly dark. It's not like... Okay, I'll just... Okay, yeah. I'll prepare for a slow <laughs> no, descent. No, because like, we're kind of at... <laughs> this is the kind of the climax. It's like, hey, many worlds. I, I did the math. I'm working on my thesis. My advisor's like taking my paper to Copenhagen to show it to like Bohr and talk about it. And like his advisor was particularly excited about this because the math made sense. That was the thing. It wasn't like he just kind of pulled this out of his ass. He's like, he went and did the math and the proofs added up. And they wanted to share this with the quantum mechanics community because this might be Mm -hmm. another way of thinking about reality and how we design experiments and things like that. Yeah. What I can essentially gather from this article and like some other like reports is honestly the community was worried about the implications of this to be like it was like not like just from a science perspective but like what does this mean about like reality if this is true Mm -hmm. like what does this mean about like religion and like social Mm -hmm. structures i mean through different kinds of like mechanisms they kind of rejected his article in a sense meaning that they he had to redact a lot of the content what just because they didn't like it yeah and completely changed the title yeah like it yeah that doesn't seem very scientific to me just be like "Mm, this kind of like rubs me the wrong way i don't think we should publish it (laughs) or am i misunderstanding no i that was kind of it. it it was mainly just like we don't want to I, it was. I feel like it was just like a rock the boat situation. Like, I mean, obviously, I wasn't there, hmm. and like, I'm not trying to spread like comp- conspiracies another, that people tried to. There's bear. another universe in which you're there. <laughs> yeah, there maybe there. I'm, maybe there's a universe where I figured out how to time travel and I That's can go I'm and saying. find out what happened. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I I think it's totally possible, but like, I'm not trying to like say like there was a conspiracy to bury the many worlds theory, but. I mean, some people didn't like it, and then it was kind yeah. of buried. <laughs> like it, this seems to be a depressing theory, so maybe we shouldn't expose people to it. Maybe that's the altruistic way of looking at it. Yeah, but well, we're trying to bring it out of obscurity at this point because mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Marvel, like because Mar- of Marvel, like, yeah, because of Marvel. <laughs> that's all. Like yeah. I'm like rationalizing. We found it. a way to profit off of it, so now uh, it's really important. <laughs> <laughs> But now the world's ready. If we can get them to buy tickets about the multiverse, maybe we can now tell them that they're living in a multiverse. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's you heard it here, folks. First, <laughs> heard it here first. On in my expert opinion, we got we got the hot takes. The, you heard. Wait, what did they hear first about the, people wanting to profit off of things? The, the, well, that the the multiverse <laughs> is real, and that we're just uh, selling oh, you oh, 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 entertainment oh. content to get you ready for it. We're not making any money off of this. Marvel. Yeah, we make we make no no Marvel. <laughs> oh Marvel, I'm. So it's sorry. getting the I'm masses ready. Okay. No, we. We're, when you say we, we, you meant Marvel, not you, you and me. <laughs> oh no, yeah. I get it. I get it. But so long story short, and people should definitely read this article because I'm just a guy on a podcast and I'm uh, so read the article. You can kind of learn a lot more about uh, Hugh's life. But yeah, the quantum mechanics community kind of rejected this. And I mean, what do you do if you're a PhD that's been scorned by your academic community, Abby? Uh, You get into stand-up comedy and um, then are really successful at it. And then, well, I was thinking of Ken Jong, but he has an MD, not a PhD, or maybe he has both. I was thinking of Ken Jong. <laughs> um, the the answer is join the military and work on nuclear strategy. 
that's some shield shit. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just for the record, this guy's who had a, this theory about a multiverse, he wrote some math down, felt like this makes sense given how we interpret quantum mechanics. Community rejected. So you could be like, oh yeah, I bet this was just some kind of crazy unqualified scientist that shouldn't be discredited. The United States military scooped this guy up because he was smart as shit. <laughs> okay, well, I don't think that being hired by the military is inherently proof of being, like, real smart. And, I mean, I'm not, like, saying that everyone who works, I'm just saying that, like, getting hired by the military okay. doesn't prove that you're for real. No, I don't think just, I don't think it was the hiring. I would say the fact that he was hired by the Pentagon in particular to work on weapon systems evaluation group, mm -hmm. the WSEG, um, who, I mean, he was an advisor to Eisenhower and Kennedy on the best methods of selecting hydrogen bomb targets based on like the most effective places to hit based on math. I, he might have met my great grandpa. For real? <laughs> Was he? Like, was your great grandpa, grandpa did, like, an advisor? Nuclear shit. Oh man! <laughs> I mean, the the important thing is is that he was a high level leader of the mathematics division in the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. Like, doesn't mean he was brilliant, but if someone was gonna make some multiverse math, I'd say he probably at least did it right. Yeah. Like if, <laughs> for the record, just trying to support Hugh. It's just sad. Yeah. A, a little sad because he could have just been an academic developing the multiverse math and like have like this whole like class of students that came from his research groups that are all just multiversal mm -hmm. mathematicians. And instead, he basically used math to establish the concept of <laughs> mutually assured destruction <laughs> from a oh, nuclear God. perspective. Okay, wait, this is, is this part of the slow descent into darkness or is this the, the end? This is, I mean, hit the rejection the from from the, the quantum mechanics community now in the military. I mean, like, yeah. it's, it's getting getting a little bit darker. We're, we're, we're getting there. Fuck yeah, we are. So in um, 1960, he helped write the WSEG's number 50, a, a catalytic report that remains classified to this day. According to Everett's friends and the WSEG colleague George E. Pugh, as well as historians, the WSEG number 50 rationalized and promoted military strategies that were operative for decades including the concept of mutually assured destruction so he Wait, came the up concept with, yes what the fuck yes like are you he, kidding me but so the caveat being that he did all of the math picked like the targets and basically told presidents <gasps> and leaders that like hey if we do this there's basically no way like the math always shoots out like we all die this is the oh math oh my fucking god yeah that's so when he, when they when I said in that opening in, in, like paragraph saying that he might have prevented Armageddon, I mean he just kind of did the math and showed that that's what's gonna happen. Holy shit! I have such chills, dude. Which may like at this point, knowing this multiverse seems a little bit more likely, right? If well, he did yeah. the math and then spit out like, hey, if nuclear war is going to end with just like the planet on fire, no one lives. Well, and that's, I mean, that's the other thing is like the, the only, the mind that could figure that out in that way with that type of sort of like calculated approach is 
a mind that would be solipsistic, right? There's like, I mean, there's mm-hmm. no, or like, and sort of like doom and gloom. There's no way in which those two things can coexist in the same person. Yeah. And and I quote again from this article, the WSEG provided nuclear warfare policymakers with enough scary information about the global effects of radioactive fallout that many became convinced of the merit of waging a perpetual standoff, as opposed to some powerful people that were advocating launching preemptive first strikes on the Soviet Union, China, and other communist countries at that time. They're, so we have this, him to thank for the Cold I, War. I don't think enough people probably talk about Hugh Everett when it comes to the Cold War. No, well, I've certainly never heard of him, although to exactly. be fair, my history about the Cold War is also a little iffy. Yeah, but it, it's really, I, I tried to go to the WSEG's uh, website to like look up this number five. Uh, yeah. Or policy number five. It, I mean, classified to a certain extent. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. To think Princeton could have had this all as part of that's their fucking... what I'm saying, man. <laughs> Princeton's like fucking kicking themselves. Or Copenhagen like, or the or Copenhagen Kobe, yeah, Insti- yeah, yeah. Institute, like the, anybody. Yeah, anybody but the goddamn Pentagon. But also, what if in the universe where he became an academic, there was no one there to come up with the concept of the Miltuliusure destruction? <laughs> and that universe is doesn't have a birth anymore god yeah right this is dark i would say this is kind of like a little like ray of positivity in this like kind of cloudy story because he kind of saved like very few people i i think he saved the world to a certain extent this sounds like a marvel movie well no it doesn't it sounds like a movie starring matt damon (laughs) if we could get matt damon to be hugh everett i think that would be good uh where yeah like sort of an uplifting like overcoming adversity saving the world but nobody recognizes him and then he i assume this ends with him drinking himself to death Eh, not exactly okay no i mean like he does a couple other things like i mean he in in 1964 he actually uh kind of he leaves the pentagon and he creates his own private defense company and it it gets a a little darker because he did do some kind of research you keep saying (laughs) you keep saying no are you about to say eugenics no it was not it was not (laughs) eugenics okay but (laughs) sorry that's a wild sentence it wasn't eugenics but (laughs) and back in 1973 he um left the so the lambda company was the one that he started first he left the lambda and to establish the dbs corporation this is all in um arlington and although mm-hmm. like the firm like the firm was predominantly specialized in like defense contracting like that was like i mean he yeah. kind of helped prevent nuclear warfare um so that's kind of where the lane they traveled in but they also got hired out to do some s- specialized work in analyzing the socioeconomic effects of government affirmative action programs and oh my god yeah so and oh this was God. as a contractor under the auspices of the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and the Education and Welfare. I So if we want to talk about uh, why our social policies aren't great, I also I've think I've saved Q the world has, and I've saved and, it for rich white people. Congratulations. I want to tell a balanced story about this uh, man. <laughs> and I feel like I can't not talk about this part. Because he, because uh, at its like core, they just built algorithms with like the data, but those algorithms were heavily influenced by policymakers that wanted yeah, certain outputs. So Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Um. But so he spent the rest of his like life um in the private sector um 
both like working in defense contracting um, and eventually would dabble a little bit in finance. But in the 1970s, he actually kind of after he had garnered some fame through his like work with the military and the quantum mechanics community had kind of given things a little bit more time to breathe when it came to the multiverse. He was actually invited to Copenhagen to present his work um, with some of his former colleagues. What do you think changed? I honestly, it was a lot to do with Bryce DeWitt, another famous physicist who saw some validity in the work and he had credibility. And I mean, that's kind of how things work in academia. Like some ideas just get buried because not the right people had them at the time. Hmm. Okay. Times do change. Unfortunately, this didn't really kind of like resurrect his academic career. It it basically was kind of just like a last opportunity for like him to feel somewhat vindicated in like being able to contribute something to quantum mechanics. Yeah. Although, I mean, at that point, resurrecting your academic career is like what I don't know what value it could bring him. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm not psyched about this guy anymore. I, I'm going back and forth. Yeah, doing a good it, job making me feel very nuanced feelings. I know. Here. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to bring some nuance yeah. because I was just like really excited that like yes, there's math to the multiverse, and I was like, oh wait, this guy did it. <sighs> okay. God, the world is full of everyone. The world is nuanced, man. <laughs> the the world is nuanced, and it, yeah. it is what it is. And regardless, I I would say that Hugh Everett the Third has contributed significantly to the society yeah. that we live in yeah like, in a lot for better of different or for ways worse. <laughs> unfortunately he uh did not get to see a lot of the effects of like even like the many worlds theory becoming like widely more like popular in mainstream because um at the age of 51 on july 18th 1982 he died of a heart attack um in his own home oh Okay, wait, I have a plan. Sure. I have a plan for the universe in which Marcus has tri- time travel and goes to Copenhagen. <laughs> Scoop up Hugh Everett, take him to a Marvel movie and be like, look, you did this. You did this, man. And then you can send him back in time and he can I gotta do send all him of his back. bullshit. I got to put him back. And then he can die knowing that he made Marvel possible. <laughs> I feel like he would look at me and he's like, well, there are other universes where I didn't get to learn this, so it doesn't matter. I'd be like, come on, Hugh. Oh, lighten up. no. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Hugh. <laughs> but yeah, so the his like solipsism and like really probably being a true believer in the many worlds theory. He was obviously he was a committed atheist. He was documented obese, frequent chain smoker, and a, a known alcoholic. He they said he had three martini lunches. Like this this guy truly did live like nothing really mattered at <laughs> at its core. Yeah. This is why art is important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is, and I mean, by art, I'm speaking like really broadly here. I'm like including, you know, shit like comics and Marvel and stuff. Like, this is why it's important to have stories that matter to you and like entertainment to engage with and yeah. that kind of thing. It's because like, otherwise you do. I mean, it's sad to not mm-hmm. have that. And, I, and I'll have, I'll have some closing remarks on the, mm-hmm. like this whole, his, his per, like way he kind of like approached uh, life. I see the humor in this because I feel like he genuinely believed this. Because he was an atheist, he had asked his remains to be disposed of in the trash after his death. He did not want them. He didn't want to be in an urn. Okay. He didn't really want a future. He was just okay. like, it doesn't matter. Throw me That's, away. I'm, I'm sorry. Was, That's one. Like, <laughs> I've I put up with a lot here. That's one degree too emo for me. It's like, oh, fuck. Whatever. Just like put Dude. me in the trash. I don't care. No. Hey, God. His, his wife kept his ashes <laughs> in an urn for a few years, but eventually, like, 
she just complied. To spite she, him. Well, eventually she complied. She threw him away. Eventually, um, don't don't know exactly know how long, how many years. Um, the uh, I feel like I got to talk about this part, but we're gonna we're gonna end on a high note. Sorry, sorry, listeners, that this is a little dark. No, it's okay. It's better than the CIA. So he he did. <laughs> He did have two children, uh, Mark Everett, who is, I think, the lead guitarist or lead singer in a band. Um, he also had a daughter, Elizabeth. Actually, sadly, Everett's daughter, Elizabeth, died uh, by suicide in 1996. I knew there you, was going to be you, suicide. Are you ready? Is it going to get worse or better, Marcus? I'm ready for either, okay. but I just want to know. She said in her suicide note that she oh, wished no. her ashes to be thrown out in the garbage so that she might end up in the correct parallel universe to meet up with daddy, quote. Marcus. I know. You needed to tell me if it was going to get better or worse. You didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's awful. Heavy. And listeners, sorry. Heavy. Sorry. Um, But. Sorry. Didn't you? I'm sorry. Didn't you say you were going to end on a high note? I am. Personally. <laughs> okay. That, all right. I'm ready. Is, but it was oh, just like I, I wanted like the there are implications to kind of having this thinking of like multiple worlds and universes if you feel like nothing you do here matters. I just think what if you just look at it in terms of like there's multiple worlds, multiple possibilities and all of it matters. That's and that is my closing point is that I Fuck like yeah. the idea of the universe because everything is possible. All of those decisions you wish you had made, you probably made them. All those decisions you're really glad you didn't make, you probably made those. And you know there's a universe where you're like, I'm probably better off in where I'm at right now because I didn't do that thing. And even though I might be disappointed because I did do something, I know there's a universe because where I did and that person's living their life and probably happy. And I want the best for yeah. all of the multiversal well, me's, including me as I sit here today. I mean, you don't even have to assign like a value judgment to it either, right? Like it could be like it's all. It could be like all of it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like like moral of the story is like the multiverse just means multiple possibilities, and so you should just be excited by every decision you make because that's kind of taken. It's you're just creating many worlds every time you make a cool choice or pick up that guitar you hadn't used for a while or went for that run even though you felt like you were too tired to go. A recorded a podcast episode for this umpteenth time. <laughs> umpteenth time, and this is the time you got it done. And maybe there's Fuck another yeah. universe where like a bird th- flew through my window and we had to stop. I don't know. We're never stopping an episode again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all that being said, Hugh Everett is the father of the multiverse. And he actually has so many contemporaries in like the modern scientific community as well as like kind of like science fiction people that I'm really looking forward to talking about that are gonna yeah. uh, be more more math heavy, more philosophy of the many worlds and what that really means. Mm-hmm. But in my expert opinion, there are many universes, or there's not, and I'm wrong. <laughs> and that's my expert opinion (laughs) perfect thanks for listening to in my expert opinion please remember to rate and subscribe we'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad five star reviews will get a shout out on the podcast pretty big deal if you ask me Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertopspod, or email in my expert opinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds. <laughs> <laughs>